Earlier this week, um, Baroness Casey published her review into the behaviour and culture of the Metropolitan Police, the police force responsible for our streets and for our city. Here's what she found. Institutional racism, misogyny and homophobia, widespread bullying, female officers on the front line being ignored when they reported sex assaults by their male colleagues. Eye-watering force being used on London's black community. Predatory behaviour being allowed to flourish. She concludes, London no longer has a functioning neighbourhood police service. That's, that's our police, that's our city. Now, Baroness Casey's not saying that every single police officer in the Met is a racist. Of course, she's not. She's not saying that every officer is a misogynist. She's not saying that every officer does a bad job. What is clear she is saying, though, is that this is more than a matter of rooting out a few bad apples or um, turning over a new leaf. The culture of the Metropolitan Police is rotten, and so what is needed is a deep transformation. And indeed, some are saying that actually we're at the point where what we need to do is, is start again. We need to scrap the Met, disband it, break it up, and build some kind of new police force for London. That actually there comes a point where something's so broken that the only hope is a fresh start, a new beginning. Now, I don't pretend to know enough to, to know whether that's true of the Met. But it feels true of our world, doesn't it? So look at the world around us and see the wars raging, planet heating, fractured communities, entrenched injustice, the suffering and pain and death that characterise our own lives. Isn't this world desperately in need of a, a fresh start, a new beginning, if only such a thing were possible? It is. As we come to these final two chapters of Isaiah, we see that God promises us exactly that. A fresh start, a new beginning for the entire world. Over the past few weeks, uh, we've seen God's plan of salvation, of rescue for humanity from sin, from suffering. We've seen that plan unfold in the glorious prophecy and poetry of Isaiah. The sacrificial death of Jesus in our place, chapter 53. The offer of satisfaction, of life to all who would come. Free of charge, chapter 55. Deliverance for sufferers, chapter 61. The final defeat of all evil, of all that opposes God and his people, chapter 63. That's done. Where's it all heading? It's all heading here. The renewal of all things. God promises a perfect new world. It's right there in the very first verse we had read. So um, do you open up your Bible, do you close them, come back, to me with page, come back with me to page 753. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. This is what God says. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. Just as God brought all things 
into being out of nothing. So one day he will renew all things. Make all things right. As Christians, this is our hope. That one day Jesus will return and when he does, he will bring in a new heavens and a new earth. That this world will be renewed, perfected and we will live with him in that perfect world forever. That's the promise we hold to. And Isaiah sings to us of what that new world will be like. Look with me at at the end of verse 19, right at the bottom of the page. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. One day God will simply say, no more. No more weeping. No more crying. No more pain. We live, we live all of our lives in this world. All of it under the shadow, under the curse of suffering and death. And one day God says, no more. I will lift that curse. No more. No more wounds from the past. We all carry in our minds and our hearts and our bodies the marks of past suffering. Um, I was um, chatting to a good friend of mine a few weeks back who through a very difficult and sad and, and messy situation had seen a really good friendship of his just completely disintegrate to the point where he's not talking, they're not talking anymore and he actually said, you know, I uh, I dread bumping into him. And when we were chatting, it was, it was a few months since this relationship had fractured and broken down in that way. And he said to me, you know, you know Andy, I, I think about this 20 times a day. That's the wound he was carry- he's carrying. I think he's, you know, he's still carrying it now, I know that. I don't know what wound you're carrying. But listen to God's promise of a perfect new world. See, I'll create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. I don't think God's saying that we'll actually remember nothing at all of this life. Rather, he's promising us that we will no longer carry those wounds, that they can't cast their shadow anymore, no more. No more wounds from the past. No more. And no more pain in the present. I've, um, I've been to the funerals of two infants. Um, and that's, that's too, too many. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a dad of two. Uh, but I, I cannot begin... Maybe I don't want to. I don't, I, I don't want to begin. I cannot begin to understand what it's like to bury a child. What I do know is that death stings whenever it comes. The, the first funeral I ever went to was the um, funeral of my grandfather, and the th- <laughs> he wasn't that old, right? Um, 
the last time I saw him before the funeral, we, were playing, we went to play golf together. He was quite good. I was awful, and we enjoyed it. And then he goes into hospital for what is a routine heart thing. And he died. He wasn't done. His life wasn't over. It wasn't finished. It was taken away from him. And I know for a fact that, that we sit here in this room, we, all of us know something of that experience of having loved ones ripped away from us by the power of death. Grandparents. Parents. Siblings, children maybe. Listen to God's promise of a perfect new world. Verse 20, never again will they be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live at his years. One day God will simply say, never again. That's enough. Never again. Never again will a parent bury their child. Never again. Never again will someone we love be taken from us. That's God's promise to us. No more pain in the present. And no more fears for the future. No more fears for the future. Maybe in the madness that is the London rental market, you've actually managed to find somewhere that you like to live and that is, I mean, affordable is a relative, relative term here, right? But that isn't actually leading you to have to take on serious amounts of debt, right? And you think, oh, okay, this is great. I actually want to live here and I can afford it. But there's that fear that whenever the contract's up, the landlord's going to hike the rent by who knows what. And you're out again. Um, I heard recently about a guy who loved his job, was really good at it, really settled in, really cared about the organisation he was part of. A new boss came in kind of over his head and didn't like him, got rid of him, done. I don't know. If you fear that you're going to put all this time and energy into work and then someone's going to snatch it away from you, it's going to be in vain. Perhaps our deepest fears for those we love. I don't know if you occasionally get struck by those irrational fears for, for people you care about. For me, it's, um, it's when my two little children, one of them oversleeps. To start with, it's just, just straight up good. You're like, oh, yes, this result in the morning. And then there'll come a tipping point when you start to just feel that anxiety rise. And then there comes a point where you're like, I, I don't care if I wake them up. I've just got to check they're alive. Look, I don't know what you're afraid of. I don't know what your fears are, but listen to God's promise of a perfect new world. Verse 21, they will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will others, will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. One day God says, no longer. No longer, no longer, no longer will we have to put up with insecurity, with having to move again, with never feeling like we could put down roots. No longer will we have to fear that all of our work, everything we're doing, all of it will turn out to be in vain. Our deepest fears, our worst nightmares, 
will haunt us no longer. God promises a perfect new world. No more wounds from the past. No more pain in the present. No more fears for the future. That is our hope. And that is our joy. That is our joy now. Look with me at verse 18. God says to us, be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. He doesn't say, you will be glad and rejoice when you get there. When it comes, no, be glad and rejoice now. Because, look, I don't know what's going on in each of your lives, but like, today could be really hard. Even from here to the end of the day, today could be really hard. Tomorrow could be full of suffering, but one day God will say no more. And that light shines back. Um, I mentioned a minute ago that I've been to the funeral of two infants. If I think about the more recent one, um, so a couple of years ago, the thing that sticks with me is there was, there was uh, unutterable, unconscionable, awful pain and sadness, of course. But the parents knew Jesus. And so amidst all of that, there was an astonishing, fierce joy. Of course, it's not a joy in circumstance. You couldn't think of a less joyful circumstance if you tried, but a joy that says, this is not it. Death is not the end. Death will be defeated. He will swallow up death forever, Isaiah 25, verse 8. He will. And so we rejoice. And here's the thing, if, if this hope can bring joy into that, can bring joy to the funeral of a child, what possible corner of our lives is beyond its reach? I'm serious, what possible corner of, beyond, of our lives is beyond its reach? We, we let the light in. Every time we set our eyes on this hope, I will create new heavens and a new earth. Every time we remind ourselves that this is our future and this is real, this is what God has promised, this really will happen. God promises a, new, a perfect new world. Be glad and rejoice forever. God promises a perfect new world. But as um, the sobering final verse of the passage we had read makes clear, not everyone will be part of this perfect new world. God promises a perfect new world, but some reject it. Some reject it. God wants all people to share in this hope, to share in this perfect new world. Look with me at, at chapter 65, verse 1, just before, before the start of what we had read to us. But here's God speaking. Again, chapter 65, verse 1, God says, look, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I. Here am I. God comes looking for people who aren't even looking for him. Um, 
before uh, my wife and I got, Rose got married, um, she lived up in Bradford, and so she'd come down to visit me in London and on the train. And one time I thought, you know what, I'll surprise, this would be good. I'll go to King's Cross, and we'll meet her there, and I won't even tell her I'm going to go. So she just gets off the train, and then, oh, and he's here, how great is that? Um, so I go to King's Cross, and I get there, and her train pulls in, and like so many people get off this train, and you suddenly think, I've not thought this through at all. Because if she's not looking for me, there's just a flood of people. And I'm not, I'm not a tall man, right? So, so I've not got that in my face. So I'm suddenly kind of like trying to get you to... Here I am, here I am, right? I've come looking for her, she's not looking for me. God comes looking for us when we're not looking for him, and he makes sure he's never going to miss us. If God wants to find us, he'll find us. He comes to find us. In, if you come over the page to the other end of the passage, chapter 66, look with me at, at verse, um, verse 19. So God says, I will set a sign among them, and I will send some of them, that's some of my people, some of those who survived, to the nations, to Tarshish, Spain, Libyans, Lydia, Greece, Tubal, Greece, basically Mediterranean, and to the distant islands that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. might be hard for us to see when I've lived my whole life here. We're a distant island. We're 2,000 miles from Jerusalem where Isaiah's raised. We're beyond the edge of the known world. We're a far-flung island off the edge of the map, and God says, I'm coming to find you there. He sent, over a thousand years ago, he sent us St. Augustine and countless other missionaries so that we might hear in this country, in this distant island, about Jesus. The good news of his death and resurrection, that he's coming back to bring in a perfect new world that we might share in it. God comes to find us. He wants everyone to share in this perfect new world. But the, the, the heartbreaking reality is that some people look at a God who runs out with open arms and says, no, I'm all right, thank you. I don't want you. The very next verse after God says, here am I, here am I, chapter 65, verse 2, God says this, all day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people. All day long I've held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. And the stubbornness, people pursue their own imaginations. Oh, I don't really believe there's a God. I like to think of God a bit like, well, if there is a God, then he'll let me into heaven because I'm a pretty good guy, you know? Pursuing their imaginations rather than turning to the one true God revealed to us in the Bible. And if we, if we don't turn to God, if we reject that, if we say, no, I'm okay... Well, to reject God, the source of all life, is to reject life itself. Think back to chapter 55, where, where God comes um, to people and cries out, give ear and come to me, listen to me that you may live. And so if you don't listen, if you don't come, the result is death. 
And that's what Isaiah describes to us in that verse, chapter 66, verse 24. They'll go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. The worms that eat them will not die. The fire that burns them will not be quenched. And they'll be loathsome to all mankind. Those are hard words. Vivid images. And they're exactly the words and the images that Jesus, love incarnate, chooses to use to warn people of the dangers of hell. He quotes from this verse in Mark chapter 9 where he's, he's calling people away from unrepentant sin, away from rebellion to God. He says, this is where that leads. God promises a perfect new world, but some reject it. So who is it for? Who will share in this perfect new world? It's those who ask God to make them new too. God promises a perfect new world to all those who ask God to make them new. Not all those who come to church each week, or most weeks. Not all those who say their prayers. Not all those who give money. Across the sweep of these two chapters, God is absolutely clear, just like he was back, right back in chapter 1, that he hates empty religious observance. He hates it when his people bring him sacrifices, but don't listen to him and don't follow him. Instead, hear God's voice in chapter 66, verse 2. God tells us what he's looking for. He says, these are the ones I look on with favour. These are the ones I look on with favour, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. More literally, those who are poor and crippled in spirit and who tremble at my word. As we've walked together through Isaiah over the past few months, I wonder if there have been words from God that have caused you to tremble. A trembling in your heart, not of abject terror, but of a an awe at who God really is, at his majesty, his glory, his power, his holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Or I wonder perhaps have you heard words from God that have caused you to tremble as they've spoken so honestly and unflinchingly of what we're like, of how we stand before God. Without we're completely lost. Poor, empty-handed, nothing to offer this God who is perfect. Crippled, broken, totally unable to save ourselves. To be humble and contrite in spirit, to tremble at God's word, is to put ourselves under the glorious light of God's powerful and searching words. And to see that we need a fresh start. That we need a new beginning. That we too need to be made new. 
in Baroness's Casey review of the Metropolitan Police, she says that perhaps the deepest problem really is that the Met has a we-know-best attitude. I quote, a sort of God-given belief that everything they do is right. That the Met does not easily accept criticism or own its own failures. And to the extent that that is true, the Met simply cannot and will not change. It cannot be rescued, it cannot be redeemed. It's the same for us, do you see that? So to the extent that we think that we know best, to the extent that we don't own our own failures and our own shortcomings before a holy God, to the extent that we resist that, we cannot be rescued. We cannot be redeemed. We cannot be part of God's perfect new world because here's the thing, God is in the business of making all things new and that means me. And that means you. And if we're not not up for that, we're out of the whole project. God's making all things new. Are we in? If we're in, if we say yes, if we're humble and contrite in spirit, if we tremble at God's word, if we recognise that we're poor, that we're broken, we desperately need God, that we need Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross on our behalf, that we need his spirit to be at work within us, to change us, to make us new. If we see that, if we acknowledge that before God, well, he literally promises us the world. He says, in that case, I give you everything, myself, everything. He says to us, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. He says to us, comfort, comfort my people. He says to us, by his wounds you are healed. He says to us, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat. He says to us, see, I'll create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor they will come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying in it will be heard no more. No more. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we praise you for this word of hope, this great promise that you will make all things new, make all things right, perfect all things. Merciful Father, give us the grace and humility to see that we too need to be made new. By the power of your Spirit, would we be those who are humble and contrite and who tremble before your word.
And so would you make us new? For the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.